Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this day we have the fourth recipient of the Co-op Hero, the Co-op Hall of Fame, with us today, Karen Zimbelman. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Vernon. <laughs> and how are you today? Ah, uh, I think I'm coming down back on Earth after the Hall of Fame ceremony last week. It's uh, oh. it was quite a quite an event for me. <laughs> I've looked at it. I was not there, which is unusual, but I'm still very, really concerned about going out with, with COVID. So I, I chose sure. to skip it. I'm sorry I missed you and the other recipients. It looked like you all had a good time. We did. Absolutely. So, Karen, you've had 40 years in this business. I'm, I am so at awe because it sounds like you learned about co-ops at a very early age. So your your dad was in co-ops, or your mom and dad? What was that? How did you get? How did you know about co-ops? Let me just ask that. Well, I actually didn't learn about co-ops until I was an adult, uh, living in a in a shared housing in Ann Arbor, Michigan, while I was kind of between degrees and thinking about what to do with my future. Uh, I was working, but the rest of my housemates were all students. And one of my housemates suggested that we shop at the co-op. And since I had more time than anyone else, uh, free time, um, I was the one who worked at the co-op for a discount for our purchases. But it was later, after I learned more about co-ops and came to be involved in co-ops, that I learned that my family actually had quite a history with co-ops. Both my parents lived in student housing co-ops as undergrads at Colorado State University, and turns out my dad's family were members of a sugar beet marketing co-op, and my mom's dad was member of the Subi. He wasn't a farmer, but he had some land and had some hives, beehives on them. And so he sold that honey through the Subi Honey Co-op. So I found out that I had co-ops in my history and background, but I wasn't really aware of them until I got involved myself as a young adult. That's fascinating because uh, nobody in my family knew anything about co-ops. My grandfather worked in the mines and my father worked on the railroad, just, you know, labor union folk. Uh, uh-huh. my, mother, my mother eventually graduated from college when I was 13. She went back with six kids. So she's my hero. And she taught school, but there was no co-op in my background. So it's, that's interesting. I didn't learn about it until I was about 45 years old. So, I, okay, you've got history. Subi how uh, honey co-op and sugar beet marketing co-op and living in a student housing co-op, your parents, and you were in a shared housing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What was that like? 
And you shopped oh, at a food was, co-op. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a house with a bunch of bedrooms, and so a bunch of, you know, 20-somethings living in that house. It wasn't nearly as romantic as any of the television shows would probably make it out to be, but... You know, uh, I would say when I first moved to Ann Arbor and uh, moved into this house, we were pretty independent. We didn't share meals, but um, after uh, after some turnover, we had a group that was more interested in in you know cooperating, and so we would take turns. And you know, like my night to make dinner was Wednesday nights, and we had five of us, so we could take turns and. And, you know, it was a casual co-op, I would call it. Mm -hmm. No bylaws, no formal, you know, organization. But, you know, certainly we we shared expenses for, you know, for the utilities and things like that. All right. So you find out when you're in your early 20s about co-ops and you eventually find out about your parents having a tremendous history, student housing, sugar beet marketing co-op, and a Subi honey co-op. So what got you into wanting to spend 40 years of your life in this world of cooperatives? Well, my background at the time was in natural resources. And uh, I my bachelor's degree included a teaching certificate. And so I was in essentially a program in the School of Natural Resources at University of Michigan in environmental education. And, um, and I was also taking courses and working with a professor whose program was called environmental advocacy, but it was more like organizational development for nonprofit and community-based organizations. So I kind of straddled that fence. And I, I got to the point in uh, terms of environmental issues where I, I, I kind of wore down on, on the message being mostly negative about what not to do and about the bad things that are happening in our world. This is the 70s, so, you know, it was um, the, the only positive message we really had at that time about the environment was recycling. And I, I wanted to, I just was feeling like it was an important part of who I was to understand those issues, but it, it felt less uh, like I wanted to devote my life to it. And I was thinking about what to do my master's thesis or um, in SNR, the School of Natural Resources, we also had an option for what we called a practicum. Um, so mm-hmm. doing doing something and then writing about it as a, instead of a thesis. And so um, an opportunity came along for a um, VISTA position. There were actually five VISTA positions to work on starting a new statewide association for Michigan for co-ops. And, you know, I was I had become a little aware of co-ops. And so I thought that sounded interesting. So I decided to do a VISTA year and make that project be my practicum for uh, my degree. And uh, and that's kind of how I got got launched on that path. How did co-ops relate to the environmental issue and I don't know, saving trees or you said there was nothing positive except for recycling, but how did co-ops fit that? Well, I think I 
think it was about the consciousness, thinking bigger picture about how our actions, what our actions lead to, um, that was the connection for me. So co-ops gave me a chance to say, you know, let's build a business, let's build something that is positive, that puts power into people's hands, that has a has an empowering message, and that that could be part of a solution through economic activity and that was it was the it was the idea of connecting your actions with your values that was this that was i think the hook from the environmental background connecting action with values okay and that gets to the co-op values to me that's uh the ones I like are the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, caring for one another. Great values, really great values. Yes, I agree. Connecting those values with actions is one of the reasons I love co-ops. But let's move on down your line. You're down. Uh, you're working for Vista in that position, uh, statewide position, creating co-ops in Michigan. Where, where did you go next in terms of the co-op world? Did you write your practicum on on this on this uh, model? Yep, yep. Uh, my focus. Uh, there were five of us uh, working on this statewide association, and my focus was on educational programs. So my work focused on taking the concepts that we were using in environmental education and trying to apply them to educational programming that would work for, for co-ops. I had an interesting story that I told at the – I guess it was at the panel – I don't remember where it was, Um, but uh, I was as as a part of this program, I was invited to come uh, make a presentation to the Education Committee of Cooperative Services, Inc., which is a a really amazing um, senior citizen housing co-op based out of the in the Detroit area. And this woman reached out to me and said, I'd like to have you come talk to our education committee since you're working on this project. And I said, I'd love to talk to your education committee. And uh, and, and I built this whole little training presentation around, it was late in the year, about this time of the year. So I built it all mm-hmm. around how co-ops show up on the Thanksgiving table, you know, and, you mm. know, that uh, kind of a fun little thing like that. And, um, and I show up to this presentation and there are 200 people on the education committee of senior of cooperative services inc or at least attending the presentation and lunch that went along with it um at this at this presentation and that just floored me and of course it was a sea of white hair and uh i i can't tell you three or four people came up to me afterwards and said oh i'm so glad to see young people involved in co-ops and and of course my reaction was i'm so glad to see old people involved in co-ops cuz you know we're we're all anchored in in the world view and the perspective that we are locked into so it was it was just one of those moments that really really in, you know kind of energized me as a co-op educator so um you know yes i completed my practicum and it, w- it ended up being uh, a partnership between uh, this group, the Michigan Alliance of Co-ops, as, and I was their VISTA volunteer, and NASCO, the North American Students of Cooperation, which is based in Ann Arbor. And so I moved from 
my graduate studies into a position at NASCO working on board training programs. The North American Student Cooperative, NASCO. Students of Cooperation, yeah. Technically, okay. it's uh, if you if you haven't run across it, it's a it's a student housing co-op. Know. Yeah, I've had Jim Jones on the program when he won the I believe it's the Stanley Voorhees Award for NAH, the National Association of Housing Co-op. Gary Voorhees. Uh huh. Yes, and mm-hmm. so um, I met him and had some very good conversations. So I know NASCO. I've had I've had several of their, their folks that work for NASCO on this on this program. And, so it's interesting to see that that's where you went to, NASCO. That's where I cut my co-op teeth, yep, at NASCO with Jim. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what did you do there? My job was director of training and education or education or something like that, uh, and eventually also uh, worked on their publication sales because um, they were pretty active in that uh, at the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you. We'll come back and talk about NASCO and and, and your rest of your life. We got to take our first break. Sorry about that. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is. Vernon Oaks and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Karen Zimbelman on the show with us this morning. She's the fourth participant. She was inducted into the Hall of Fame um, this past week, the Cooperative Hall of Fame. And we're going over her history. And we were early in her life now. She's working with the North American Students of Cooperative, NASCO. She's an educator. Um, And by then, you've gotten your master's degree. Yep. Yeah, my master's was behind me, and NASCO actually was very involved in the lobbying efforts to enable the National Consumer Cooperative Bank, one of your main sponsor, now known yeah. as NCB. And um, so they had gotten a small grant from NCB at, at the time to develop a board training program to train boards of directors about their roles and responsibilities. And because at the time uh, there was there was no association for food co-ops um, and the sort of closest thing to uh, a, a sort of a home base for a lot of food co-ops since they were located in mostly in college towns and near campuses, NASCO had a lot of contact with those groups. And so I picked up from this grant program to manage the board training services that NASCO offered mostly to food co-ops, but also to student housing co-ops. So you got your degree in environmental, and you could teach school, too. So education and environmental studies is what you were mainly interested in, and you end up working with co-ops because the actions connected with the value. Oh, I love that. I got to quote you on that one. So... In in your uh, package for the, the hero that says you're an educator, unparalleled as a co-op educator and resource creator, KZ, instead of Karen Zimberman, KZ is a prolific writer and contributor to the co-op publication. And so you authored a book, How to Start a Food Co-op. So you're working for a student housing organization, NASCO, 
but they are very much connected to food co-ops because food co-ops are around where student housing is on college campuses. <laughs> so you end up getting this grant, or NASCO gets the grant from NCB to help get this training done for boards of directors of both food co-ops and student housing co-ops or just food co-ops? Which one was for it? Both. Both. Yeah, for everybody. <laughs> and NASCO struggled to continue to operate that service. It wasn't something we did charge for it, for the trainings, but it wasn't uh, profitable. Um, And so another part of my job was running NASCO's annual conference, which they call Institute. And and that was more profitable for NASCO. And um, and as I said, the publications program but but NASCO was struggling financially, and um, Stuart Cole, who uh, had been at NASCO, was the executive director of NASCO before my time, um, and was part of really leading the lobbying efforts for the National Co-op Bank Act. He was now at NCBA, CLUSA, at the time, and he, uh, he and Jim Jones had a conversation that said, um, how do we make this work? You know, this is clearly a valuable and needed service, but it's not working for NASCO to carry it. Um, and so I moved over to, to Clusa at the time, and Stuart opened up a little office for, for me and one other person in Ann Arbor. So we had a little satellite office of Clusa and eventually became NCBA. And I continued to do this kind of um, board training work and then essentially managed the membership, the consumer cooperative membership um, base for NCBA. And, you know, did a newsletter, did the annual CCMA conference uh, for several years. What's CCMA? Oh, sorry. (laughs) The Consumer Cooperative Management Association Conference, the annual conference uh, that food co-ops um, participate in. Okay. It's not really an association. The name sounds like when you spell it out, sounds like an uh, an association. It's just an annual conference. Okay. And what year is this? Uh, 1984 was when I think I moved over to NCBA, CLUSA. It was still CLUSA at the time, but um, during my three years there, it uh, the, we went through the name change to NCBA. And then in 87, NCBA hit its own uh, financial rough patch and had to close down the Ann Arbor office. And I chose to move out here in where I am now in Northern California to work for North Coast Cooperative instead of moving to D.C. No offense to your D.C. listeners. <laughs> and what's North Coast Cooperative? That's where you're it's at. A, you're at Northern, yeah. Northern California. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a retail food co-op. It has two stores. It had two stores even at the time. And at the time, it also operated a wholesale operation called Whole Food Express. So, um, yeah, uh, pretty dynamic and uh, large at the time, uh, by comparison, retail food co-op compared to its peers. I'd say it's probably more in the middle of the pack in terms of size now. Okay. Housing and food co-ops and NCBA, the Umbrella Association, which was close at the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cooperative League of the United States of America, CLUSA. All right. Yeah, we got the acronym. 
<laughs> we do. And uh, how do you, if you could have chosen, if you're talking to a young person today, could you have said, you know, you're in college, in undergrad, that this is going to be your life's journey, this co-op world, and then how do you choose a life journey? You know, that's always something that, that I've felt extremely lucky to never have had to tr- figure that out because um, I've been able to just follow this path without knowing where it was taking me. Um, and, and I think it's the, va- again, it goes back to the values and to my passion for co-ops is, you know, I just trusted that I could figure out a way to contribute to co-ops um, and kept finding new ways to do that. I I was at North Coast for only two years and continued to do board training on the weekends, which was pretty, uh, pretty crazy in some ways because I now live in this very remote area. So traveling to, you know, places all over the U.S., to do a Saturday training session and flying back home on Sunday and then going to work on Monday morning, uh, you know, it, it was it was quite a um, an endeavor. But um, you know, after I left North Coast Co-op, I just started doing different consulting projects and you know had made enough connections in the co-op world that I um, I could reach out to someone like William Nelson who was at CHS at the time. And say, you know, uh, uh, I, I'd like to do something. What's needed, you know? And and he, he's always got great ideas. And so, you know, I was the newsletter editor for the Association of Co-op Educators for a while. I, um, you know, I I did some consulting projects for co-ops on researching different structures as they were growing and and um, doing some research for their board of directors or, you know, things like that, as well as the board training. So I just, I just patched things together. And, and you know. I don't, it, I'm not sure I, I'd have a lot of advice to someone. I think uh, the best advice probably is to follow your heart. You know, when you really find something that speaks to you, trust that you'll be able to find a way to make that work. I want to add something from this conversation and my experiences. Follow your heart and your values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's action and values. I like that a lot. Okay. You have such an interesting history, particularly in cooperative. And I was looking up, um, again, from the Hall of Fame, they said that you are a sticker for excellence in cooperation at every level. Excellent, and I assume that's one of your values from everything that I read about you or hear about you, and that is one of the things that you strive for. Is that correct? Well, uh, I think that's a nice way to say that I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty uh, I have a high attention to detail. Yes, yeah, I think it's pretty correct. <laughs> CDF has a great way of uh, putting a positive spin on on all of your characteristics. <laughs> Well, I like that high attention to detail, and with that detail, we have to take our second break. And I want to come back and finish up talking about your history maybe in the next segment, and then I want to go into future, particularly coming out of this pandemic or these pandemics I have, it, not just COVID, but get into the future and where you see co-ops there and what role you're going to play in that. So we will be right back. Everybody out there, please don't touch that dial.
Welcome back, everybody. You know, this October, uh, Karen, KZ, we are in, we have been uh, airing this show for eight years. And National Co-op Bank, as you said earlier, has been our sponsor for those eight years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their families and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And you mentioned earlier that NCB gave a grant to NASCO to help uh, develop the training for food co-ops and those student housing co-ops. NCB also, when I was with National Association of Housing Co-ops, gave a grant for us to develop some training for housing co-ops, uh, particular affordable housing, a limited equity co-op. So NCB is out there, been in the front, uh, really working for cooperatives and their members. So I really like Chuck and the folks, Chuck Snyder and the people at NCB. So many wonderful so, people that, yep, I, I, I 100% agree. They have a mission and they put their actions with their values and the values of cooperation. So, yeah, they're just a great people, a group of people to work with. And I have it that you have high attention to detail and, and, and the uh, folks at CDF, Corporate Development Foundation, that does this Corporate Hero, says that that's a, 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 a value of excellence. And so I'm, I'm glad to meet you because I don't have that high attention to detail. And I love people that do, and I want people around me that does. Okay. Um, I think that's important when you're dealing with, you know, the cooperative business model because, you know, democracy takes a high attention to detail. You know, putting that into practice really means you've got to figure it out. You've got to make it work, and you've got to make it work for everybody, and that that means thinking through all the different scenarios and and making sure the communication is clear and that people know how to how to do what they what you what what we're giving them the opportunity to do. So I I think it fits. It does. It truly does. That's why I like people that really pay a lot of attention to detail. I'm I'm better at it, but I'm not as good as I think you are. As you've gone from NASCO to North Coast Co-op to NCBA Clusa and then you were writing for the Association of Co-op Educators. What else did your life take you this path? So as I was, you know, freelancing, if you will, for doing, finding different co-op projects, a couple of colleagues reached out to me and said, look, we want to we wanna help food co-ops share information more readily. You know, in those days, co-ops are growing and they're trying to figure things out, but they're each doing that individually, and they would reach out to their peers by looking at a directory of co-ops and sending out letters that said, could you send us a sample of your marketing director's job description, or can you send us a sample of how you, you know, do X, Y, Z, or your procedures for receiving, or whatever it might be. Um, this is pre-internet, um, or early days of the internet, not pre-internet, of course, that mm-hmm. long predates all of our I- experience with it, but before it was public, you know, really widely available, and 
And so it was in the late 90s that they reached out to me and said, we want to start this association that can make it easier for co-ops to share it, food co-ops to share information. And so we launched it and, and I was the organization's, I was a contractor, but we just, you know, functionally the executive director on a quarter time basis to this group called Cooperative Grocers Information Network, later CGN, Cooperative Grocers Network. And, um, you know, we had listservs and we had, you know, a resource library online and people started submitting items and they were members and, you know, it was uh it really transformed our ability to be connected and to operate as a network and support one another. So it sounds like you're doing principle five and six. Five is uh, education, information, and training, and six is cooperation among co-ops. Yep. So co-ops training each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and shortly coming out of that, you know, there was a – the conference I mentioned earlier, the CCMA conference, where John Mackey, who was the founder and CEO of, at the time of Whole Foods, uh, he was a keynote speaker, and he he made a, a he made a presentation to this group. It was it, it, at that time the conference was pretty small. I would say probably no more than. 150, 200 people, and so it was a smallish room in a hotel, and he said, oh, co-ops are just so cute, that's really nice, but, you know, be prepared, because we're on an aggressive growth path, and that set people back a little bit. You know, I would say, you know, there were exceptions, of course, but for the most part, I would say in our food co-op community, the mindset was not, how are we competing what is our market share? How are we showing up in the U.S. grocery market? But, you know, more, thinking more individually at the local level, and that really challenged people to think bigger about what co-ops meant in the aggregate and what our power was in the aggregate and what the effect might be on us with this aggressive growth strategy being deployed by Whole Foods. And that encouraged small groups of regional food co-op managers to start working together more closely. We called them regional cooperative grocers associations at the time. And then I was involved in helping start the one in the Pacific Northwest, the one in California, and eventually supported another one in the Southwest as well. So kind of putting all these things together as a contractor for the most part. So he uh, he lit the fuse, huh? I heard that he, he had said that he was going to take over food co-op, but there were no well, longer I mean, who was going to take him over. He was going to take over our markets for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he lit the yeah. fuse and you all started with the regional. And then how did a national co-op grocers come about? So there were uh, about six to nine of these regional groups uh, at various stages of organizing, you know, one in the Northeast and one in the Southeast and several in the Midwest and the three out West. And we would meet and talk about the things that we were working on together once a year at this annual conference. And, you know, uh, a group finally said, you know, there are enough common projects that, 
that we don't we don't need to all reinvent wheels. We can um, and bigger projects than any of us could take on as a regional association. And so we formed essentially a, an umbrella association over all of the regionals. So the regionals were all members of the National Cooperative Grocers Association at the time. I think it was originally started in 1999. And then five years later in 2004, it acquired all of the regionals and everything rolled up and the retail food co-ops directly became members of NCG. And what was your role in all of that? Well, I was the I was a contractor for the essentially the three regionals and I became an employee of NCG at the time. Originally, we had some activities happening at what we called the corridor level. So we had the western corridor and the central corridor and the eastern corridor and we had a staff person dedicated to the activities that happened at the corridor level for for peer support and peer advocacy, really. So sharing data, um, doing store audits together, having regional meetings, holding regional trainings, that kind of thing. So when I look at the heroes, the cooperative heroes, and they have all of the plaques up in, in, in CBA's office downtown, D.C., early on it was mostly white men that were getting these heroes Mm-hmm. And if there was a woman, then she was the wife of one of the men, and they were working alongside each other or something like that. Well, how have you experienced women in this cooperative movement in the U.S.? Well, there have been some real big heroes in my life and mentors in my life that have been women. And and it's been, um, you know, it's been inspiring to see women involved in co-ops as you say, it's been spotty and uh, a little, not always as strong and uh, what you would expect in terms of participation, but still better than what I think you would find in non-co-op businesses. When I was working at NCBA at the time, the board chair was a woman, uh, Barbara Devereaux, who um, was involved in Blue Ridge Electric Co-op, I think, was her home co-op, so uh, coming out of the REC system, but a very strong and uh, principled woman who was a great role model. My experience with the Co-op Hall of Fame started, um, I would say, probably in the late, in the early 90s or so, and and there were more and more women being inducted in the Hall of Fame, and, and several of them were people who I was able to get to know through the Association of Co-op Educators or um, and through other ways. So I would say that it's really important uh, for us as cooperators to really think about how we lift up all voices as part of our cooperatives and keep doing that. You know, it's... Um, it's it's not something to that you can take your eye off the ball of uh, at all. It's very easy in our society and in our economic systems to fall into patterns that make it hard to remember that we we need to we need to be uh, making sure everyone has a voice at the table. So the first reason I like co-ops, uh, and I learned about them as I was managing housing co-ops here in the district, was because of the fifth principle, education, training, and information. And that fits you. I taught 12 years of my life and my career. But I, um, 
I liked it second because of the first principle. It's open to everybody. It doesn't make any difference about your gender or your political affiliations or religion. It just race. It just doesn't make any difference. And that's why I like to say lift up all voices and keep doing that. And the second one is sort of a level playing field. And that's uh, democratically controlled, one member, one vote. The person with the most money doesn't get the most marbles or most vote or the most power. And so that's a, another reason I love co-ops. What about you? And we only have another minute for you to answer that. How, how have you found these principles in your working and dealing with, with co-ops? Well, the values are the part that I find resonate with me more than the principles these days. I mean, I'm pretty deeply schooled in the co-op principles. My uh, first exposure to them was the 1966 version, which was a slightly different version, but, you know, they're deeply ingrained in my uh, sense of how we do things and how we conduct business. But, but they're so rooted. The foundation of those principles is so rooted in the values that I, I also think it's important to, um, to, to make sure we, we remember those values. And, um, you know, definitely all, all of them, actually, they're all important. How we do business, how we make decisions, who gets to be part of this. You know, all, all of those factors are really significant and important, and that's why we don't just have one principle. You know, we have, we have seven today and maybe even thinking about more. So, Diversity, yes. We'll be right back, everybody. Your News Talk Station. back, everybody. KZ is our guest today who has had a phenomenal career in this cooperative world, and we have been talking about that. KZ, uh, speaking of women, uh, one of the first uh, ladies I met uh, was Dame Pauline Green when she was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, and she said on this show that uh, co-ops help people come out of poverty with dignity. Have you experienced that in your 40-year career? I've witnessed it more tangentially, honestly, Vernon, than I have experienced it personally. I um, recognize that is the power of co-ops and that that is what co-ops have done. For instance, my husband managed and started two worker co-ops cleaning cleaning services so janitors in the in the local area where I am and definitely you know those are people who those members those co-op members were not people who uh had access to a lot of privilege or um had a were on a path most of them to a, a comfortable lifestyle, but because of the co-op and the way the co-op was structured, not to be paying an owner a profit, but to be sharing the profit among all the uh, members, they were the best, they are today the best paid janitors in the county. And, you know, really did exactly what Dame Pauline describes. Um, NCBA, CLUSA has been involved in international development projects that really live that and put that into action every single day. I mean, the work they've done, they did in India 
for decades um, is just remarkable. They're not in India anymore, but um, the work they're doing in so many other countries around the globe really makes a, a, an enormous difference um, in the daily lives of their members. For my work, I would say, you know, working in U.S. food co-ops that got started in the natural foods business, I would I would say it would be hard to to make the argument that our co-op, the impact that our co-ops are having is is uh, moving people out of poverty into into a reasonable lifestyle. But I do think that what we have done is transformed the food industry and uh, made it one that is less industrial and less focused on the agricultural, uh, you know, industrial complex and more mm-hmm. uh, conscious of about uh, what we are putting in our bodies. So you said lift up all voices earlier and keep doing that. One of the things in this dignity I found is when you give people voice, whether it's those janitors or in India, there's the IFCO that NCBA started, mm-hmm. the largest fertilizer company in India. And I don't think it's the largest fertilizer company in the world, but it might be huge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have witnessed, you know, like, real time with particularly these affordable housing co-ops where people get voice through that TIF, that TIF principle of education, training, and information, and then having autonomy and independence and a member economic participation, that's the one you're talking about, the finances, uh, they end up having a salary plus split the profit or decide how they're going to split the profit. So, yeah, all of that, I've found that to be so, so beneficial. And one of the reasons that NCB is, and we've started this, this radio show to tell people about co-ops and, and your life story. So with that, and given that we are in COVID, hopefully coming out of COVID, we're in climate change, and that's your original issue. Uh, I have it about 4.8 million people around the world died from COVID in a year and a half. But a new study came out that said about 5 million people a year die from, additional people die from climate change and all of the problems that that has. And then there's another pandemic called racism here in the U.S., and then there's guns killing all kinds of folks. So that's four pandemics. How do you see co-ops, with your experience, helping to bring us out of any of those, anyone you want to talk about? Well, I think, to my mind, uh, co-ops offer solution to some of the underlying problems to all of the, all of the, if we can call them pandemics, if we're going to call them pandemics that you're talking about, because co-ops challenge us to look beyond our own personal needs, but to look at the collective needs and our shared needs and our shared circumstances. And um, it's not it's not an everyday part of how we operate when we go shop at the grocery store or we go, you know, move into our housing unit, but, but we learn as co-op members that it's not just me. I'm not the owner here. It's not a singular ownership experience. It's a shared ownership experience. And what does that mean? That mentality forces us as, um, as citizens to have a different approach to these kinds of problems and a different consciousness to how we approach solving these kinds of problems. So I guess that's, to me, the connection. And 
co-ops, you know, operate in the economic sphere. So we, I, I, I don't expect them to be the problem solvers for all the world's problems. But I do uh, find value in having co-ops at the table and bringing the kinds of values approach that they have to the conversation. I think that's a really important part of looking at how we solve problems is bring economics and social and pol- political and civil uh, societies to the table to think about how we solve the problems together. Wow. I want to quote you. <laughs> yes. Phenomenal. And that gets to the seventh principle that I hadn't talked about, and that's concern for, for communities. It's right in yeah. the principles. And the, the thing that I liked about co-ops when I first saw them was everyday people, mostly women here, uh, and it was NBC African-American women, at best a high school education, making extremely great decisions. They get the training mm-hmm. they need to make long-term good decisions, and it always was about what's best for the community, what's best for the group, whether it's a 20-unit co-op or 150-unit co-op, what's best for the community and surrounding community and not just what's best for me. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful said. So have you liked your career, and what are you doing now? Well, I am working for NCG, the National Co-op Grocers. My job is uh, Director of Membership and Cooperative Relations, so I get to interface with uh, uh, many co-op partners, partner organizations that we work with, and keep tabs on what they're doing and making sure that we're aware of what they're doing and they're aware of what we're doing, that kind of thing. And uh, our, our membership, uh, co-ops that want to join NCG, work, I work with them to figure out how that pathway is going to work, and we're just um, taking in two new member food co-ops next month. So, you know, I continue to work. I uh, also get involved in little special projects, and I have great hope for what co-ops are all about. I I feel like one of, for our food co-op system, you know, the co-ops that got started in the 60s and 70s, they're all facing 40 to 50-year anniversaries, uh, many of them. And I think that one of the things we haven't really, really gotten our arms around yet is how to pass the baton on to the next generation. So people like me are going to be stepping aside and uh, in fewer and fewer leadership roles, and we need to make sure that the people who uh, are willing to pick up the baton and, to, and carry it forward understand that we're not just in the business of selling natural foods we're not just an alternative to a privately owned natural food store or to Whole Foods, a chain or, you know, other Sprouts or whatever, name your um, national chain, uh, natural food store. But we are about an entirely different experience and that we provide people, our shoppers, our members, with an experience that that reminds them that we have their interests at heart and that this is not just us imitating the competition. So I still feel like we have a lot to figure out in the, in that way and still hope that I can make sure that we keep learning to get better at that. So tell us, uh, how did you come about writing a book of how to start a food co-op? And what was that like? Uh, CGIN, the Cooperative Grocers Information Network at the time, 
would get a lot of calls. Uh, we would get, I would get a lot of calls. This was before, in the days before the food co-op initiative uh, organization was established, and we'd get calls all the time from people saying, help, I need to start a food co-op, or we'd get calls from our, me- our food co-op members who would say, I'm getting so many calls from food co-ops about how to start another, from, from groups that want to start a new co-op, can't we give them some resources? And so, you know, I worked with uh, a variety of sources and, you know, put together an initial. It was just a manual. It was a very straightforward little uh, thing. I'm, I'm not even sure you can find it anymore because the Food Co-op Initiative um, sort of adapted it into a different approach that they use. Um, but I think, you know, um, adapted a lot of the materials into into their system. So that's Thank you, Yep. Thank you so very much for everything you've done and what you are doing. I really appreciate this. And for everybody out there, please have a great week and live cooperatively.